I, I also just love those days before you get the footage back and you're just it's like you know waiting for Christmas presents to arrive and you're like you know you're like I this we put so much love into this like I can't wait to see how it actually just kind of comes back and you just got it hi and welcome to drinking with creatives the weird uncle at the Christmas party that is your cell phone my name is Jeremy Berger a filmmaker and senior editor and each week I chat with a professional creative and we have a few drinks Kate Villevois is a Dutch documentary filmmaker whose work has been seen all over the globe. Which has had some interesting side effects, but more on that later. I caught Kate's film 1215, a Vimeo staff pick made entirely on the Zoom platform. We chat the pandemic, bicycles, and, well, a wide gamut of other stuff. Kate, uh, usually we're drinking alcohol, but I think, well, I'm drinking water because it's 9 a.m. here. It's 2 p.m. there. I'm pretty sure that was water you were drinking, not vodka. But nonetheless, we like to get kind of an introduction out of the way beforehand. So if you could please tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where we can find you. Absolutely. Um, hello, my name is Kate Villevois. I am a Dutch filmmaker, although I've been based in London for the last 10 years. Um, my work focused specifically on um, documentary and um, then I combine that with branded content where I work with brands such as the North Face and um, it's always when you start thinking about all of them you kind of like forget them and they just become one but I also work with a lot of editorial platforms such as the Face and ID magazine and Dazed in London um, so it's kind of yeah creating that sort of nice cycle of, of work where um, it's a mixture of my own personal documentary projects and, and editorial work. Um, and you asked, where can people find me? Is that you yes. mean geographically in the world? Uh, nope, I think we covered that. But where can we find you if they want to see your work online? Um, I have a website where I'm, I publish most of my work. So that's just katevillevoix.com. And I have a Vimeo where you can find all of my work as well. Excellent. We will have links for that in the description. So, Kate... Hello. I want to dive into, hi, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Good, 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 good. Uh, I became aware of your work uh, with 1215 that came out, I believe, about a year ago, yeah? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It was a Vimeo staff pick, which is always kind of a you know highly coveted uh, position uh, mm -hmm. to be had. It gets a lot of views. And I watched it. I found it charming and lovely. And it was for lack of a better term, I hate to put labels on things, a pandemic documentary. It was, yeah. <laughs> it truly was. It was made in the limitations of, using the limitations of, of the pandemic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy you enjoyed it. It, it was, it's funny because for me, I, as you know, um, and I hope if the viewer has seen it, uh, if, the, if the listener has kind of seen it already, like it's a completely Zoom recorded film. And First, I was very much, much sort of struggling with that idea of thinking of, ah, this has been done pretty much like this has just been done. You know, I, there's no need to make more Zoom films. But the more that I just started not thinking about that medium and just started thinking about the story I wanted to tell, I just knew I wanted to make it. Um, and it very much started as an experiment. Um, so it just kind of, yeah, it was very much a sort of um, uh, not a sort of specifically thought through project but that's what i love about it and i think we should always kind of allow that freedom in a project if possible freedom in a project i don't understand that's crazy talk <laughs> uh well tell us how the project got started for you because you uh, at what point have you met had you met the subject yeah so um 
basically Lynn is she's she's an 87 year old comedian uh, originally from the States, but she moved to London about 10 years ago. And um, I think it was two years ago that um, I, I went to see a comedy show of a friend of mine and she was part of that same lineup and she was just the most hilarious person to, to kind of encounter and sort of the most surprising person to encounter in a sort of stand up comedy night. Um, as an 87 year old sort of lady gets up on stage, she, her, her first line was, I'm the bitch that takes your seat on the tube, which is <laughs> in London. And um, she, I kind of fell in love with her since then. Um, and we, we'd worked on a sort of just short project, like kind of an interview thing for an editorial platform in London. And we'd kind of stayed in touch after that. And then the pandemic happened last March and I'd just gone freelance a few months before that. Ooh. And and yeah, which was tricky. So it was um, it was a quiet time, and I I just wanted to turn that time into an experiment, just because I knew I, I like I had nothing to lose, which is always nice when you can kind of turn a crisis moment like that into a more creative moment. Um, mm. But so what happened was I I just asked Lynn if she was up for meeting every day on Zoom for about a month and just to kind of just have talks between us and and get to know each other better. Um, mm. And this is kind of what what. The outcome was of that so we met every day at 12 15 i wish it was uh, I, I wanted it to be noon but she's still asleep at that time this is the earliest she would do <laughs> she, she's a complete night owl for an 87 year old she's she's like at 2 a.m she's still up painting and writing and singing and then she just sleeps until about 11 or 12 every day um and yeah they were just such wonderful it was just that it really got me through that initial period of lockdown um i had just moved in with my boyfriend as you can tell in the film as well there's a moment where i'm kind of sharing a little crisis moment i had in our relationship just being confined to the same space so just that hour where we spoke every day was just um it just made me so happy and i think you can always tell like when you're just feeling like constant joy during a project and you're just not feeling any stress or pressure to make to you know you're just kind of enjoying it so much that you're yeah like I just kind of knew that whatever would come out of it would be something I would be happy with so it's nice to see kind of the outcome of that um yeah being yeah it was it was a, a very positive experience it was it was great you're using terms like positive experience and freedom <laughs> when it comes to films and it's 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 throwing me for a loop my <laughs> lord all right, so when you say like, because you you obviously had very you know vulnerable moments in that film that existed beyond the actual scope of the pandemic itself. Um, yeah. Outside of that, uh, how were how did you find yourself kind of coping with this obviously global event? Well, also that's something funny to to add is that um, you know that there's so there's one specific moment in the film where where I'm literally crying and. Um, <laughs> do you know this company called cisco i think they're pretty big in the u.s oh yeah yeah they're like a telecommunications okay. electronics company i believe yeah yeah exactly and i i don't I, I grew up in the netherlands i live in london i don't i hadn't heard of this company before but apparently it's huge, huge in the u.s they contacted me a few months ago asking if they could use some footage for like a, like a little commercial they were they were doing and i had no idea how big they were and how like how many people would see this but kind of like like reading about it I was like okay yeah sure like use it I thought it was like a sort of found footage commercial thing and then my my brother who's living in Japan was on the subway in Japan and suddenly sees me crying and like sees that clip of the film and basically this clip is like 
on a sort of on continuous loop in the in a Japanese subway. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, You're so, famous in Japan. Yeah, me and Lynn are big in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, I think that's a Tom Waits song. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that was quite shocking. So yeah, it's good to know that even um, that far across the world, people are kind of getting to, to, to know the film. But um, to answer your question, you, your, your, your question was how I, I guess, coped more generally with the pandemic. Well, I'm, just, it, I'm just, I'm just, well, yeah, I was just curious, like, you know, you were talking about uh, uh, how it was good to have that project be doing at that time. I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. like, you know, because I think everyone took on some type of activity, either the creative or not, because when you can't do anything outside, you have to do, you know, something. Otherwise, yeah. you start going, yeah, maybe a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm just wondering if the film served that for you and in what way? Yeah, absolutely. It did. Um, I think. I do think I, I just mentioned how much of a positive experience it was. I do remember the edit process being harder because there was so much that we discussed and there were so many different ways I could go. And that's definitely where I started calling in the help of some friends and just sharing cuts and hearing from them just directly what mm-hmm. spoke to them and what didn't speak to them. So that was helpful. But yeah, generally this project, I think dur- during that first phase of lockdown, um, just brought some sort of structure and, and, and purpose and I kind of I know I, I think I just also really but it was fun to sort of play with this idea of I, I think I would say in the end the, the sort of zoom format really worked for the film because it just it's an intergenerational conversation it's it's two women from completely different generations sort of touching base and finding out where their interests sort of or where their lives kind of you know cross or where we can find sort of a mutual understanding especially during a pandemic or how different our experiences are and I, th- I quite like the idea that you just see our faces right next to each other and having our little lives during this pandemic um but yeah no d- generally I, I I think I was also definitely of the opinion like sort of looking in hindsight now that we're kind of coming out of these lockdowns that I also found it quite hard to feel like I need I needed to be productive because I think let's cut ourselves some slack. There's also a pandemic going on and it's a very um, tough time. So I, I really like related to those memes that were like, um, that kind of made fun of this whole idea of, you know, we should sort of pick up five new hobbies and and have read 20 books by the end of this month and like, you know, written a novel. You know what I mean? Like it was, it's, it was a stressful time too and a new, a new time for everyone to kind of suddenly um, be faced with. Yeah, I, I guess I should take a minute and tell you about the 20 new habits I formed uh, throughout this entire pandemic. <laughs> tell me. Tell me. What was, <laughs> did, did you have a sort of go-to sort of out, outlet? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. We're, we're going to talk about me for a second. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm recording. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, uh, I had been using, uh, and, I, and I believe they have these all over Europe now, these like cycle, uh, bicycle share programs as part of the city. Like uh, huh. in New York here, we have city bike. And I've been using them for years because I got into a bike accident years ago and wrecked it and kind of said I was done uh, buying uh, secondhand cheap bikes uh, for a while. But so I'll use it to save up money. And when the pandemic started looming and I said, you know, I just got paid from a gig and this thing looks like it's going to shut stuff down at least until the summer. Um, yeah. And I said, let me, uh, let me go ahead and just get that bicycle. Uh, 
got it. And uh, according to the clerk, I was uh, not just me personally, but the last order, which had, you know, a few dozen people in it, were the last people to get a new bicycle in New York City for months. No uh, way. Yeah. Yeah. They're the two things New York ran out of in the early days of the pandemic. It wasn't toilet paper. Um, it was bicycles and dogs. I was about to say puppies. Absolutely. <coughs> oh, yeah. No, there's if, if you're a dog trainer in New York City, like you're, yeah. you're set. You're set. You're, yeah. you're booked out for the next like eight months. Um, very true probably I, more actually a, a friend of mine in the UK just made a film about uh, puppy thieves because there's like loads of theft going on with with dogs and like that whole market apparently there's a huge illegal underworld of puppy stealing were you aware of that no and uh, <laughs> my faith and love in humanity is gone a little yep. bit right now <laughs> yeah it was god I know, I know. Not just, good. just, just do like the rest of us do and steal precious wiring out of abandoned homes. Come on, um, <laughs> the copper yeah. market is huge. Um, no, but yeah, but yeah, I just started. Yeah. I just started uh, biking uh, daily uh, because the other great thing about New York is that we, uh, for the past ten years, they've been building up this giant. Uh, what they call it the Green Path. Uh, which are all these? You know, some of them are like shared roadway, but a lot of them are just like you know isolated uh devoted bicycle lanes so you know you could ride you'd do 20 miles uh in new york city and not have to worry about traffic and that's been a that's that's definitely saved my brain a bit definitely yeah. um yeah got out got some exercise yeah you're speaking to a dutchie so you're always going to find someone uh, sort of with a huge love and obsession for bike for cycling oh 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 yeah, well, you know. Have, have you been? To, have you been to Amsterdam? I've not. I've not. But I desperately want to go because everything you're saying sounds nice. Where I don't have twenty projects going on at the same time. <laughs> there are there are just parking lots just for bicycles next to every train station. Basically, it's like stop it. Yeah, yeah, and and apparently also the canals here are filled with bikes at like the bottom of them because it's really easy to just kind of push them over into the canals, which drunk people enjoy doing. That's um. That's 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 a little bit less fascinating, but yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's. <laughs> so I mean, I'm going to ask you about bicycle recovery services and canal later. Uh, that's 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 something I'm now I'm very curious about. Um, oh, but uh, God, where did we get off? Where did we get off? I started talking Good about question. <laughs> we were talking about the the, the pandemic more generally. Yeah, I, I think also um, in terms of. Uh, I think the impact it maybe has made on filmmakers or yeah, just speaking personally, mm -hmm. I, I, I think I'm such an extrovert, but I definitely think the, the pandemic made me a little bit more introverted. Um, and really? yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think I just really enjoyed like not having the sort of, <laughs> the sort of um, social stresses as much or the, just the idea of FOMO basically I like FOMO really gets to me and now there was just no FOMO to be had and it was great you know I just knew that I could just sort of make the best time for myself at home um and I I think I do think I want to kind of continue some of that um basically I also just by thinking kind of just at a slower pace about what type of films I want to make I think also living in London you get so stuck in the sort of rat race of just lots of fun commercial work and working with interesting platforms and brands. But, you know, ultimately 
I would just really love to focus more on projects like 1215, but I was only able to do that because there was, I was kind of forced, you know, to just mm. like stop and think about it, what film I wanted to make during this time of more sort of peace and quiet. Um, and so I think I'm, it's, I'm actually kind of actively removing myself from that rat race and, and looking at relocating to, uh, to another city for a little while to just kind of spend more time myself <laughs> are you just going to go like straight like completely opposite you're just going to go find like some middle of nowhere rural like farmhouse to chill out in are you going completely 180 what's going no, on no because i think i do still want lots of food for thought as a documentary filmmaker and mm. i've just spent a bit of time in athens um in greece which i absolutely loved and i think i'm gonna start spending some time there from september onwards just because it's a city that kind of and I don't know it intrigues me for several reasons there's like just it's a it's it's definitely a, a country that is geographically but also just kind of in its mental state like very much on the edge of Europe and at sort of a, there's a kind of a crossroads of sort of an influx of like a different influx of people different types of conversations to be had than the ones I think I'm used to in London if that makes sense so it's just yes. yeah um and I don't it's funny because I don't even know that many people there, but I, I'm kind of excited about just sort of talking to strangers and just, yeah, having a bit more, um, I don't know, I guess space and time for creative work because it's it's quite hard. I don't know how you find that in New York, but it can be so easy to just kind of get caught up on what you already know, right? Oh yeah, no, I I I I just I just lose sleep. That's you know, I, I just figure. <laughs> I just figure I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's fine. Um, <laughs> how, long, how long have you been doing New York? Because I love New York, but that city has also stressed me out multiple times. Oh, yeah. No, I've been here since 97. Um, God. You are New York through and through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I moved from like central New York. So like I was even involved in the state beforehand. It was just uh, a lot more green up there. But uh, at the same time, like, you know, we've, we've also found ourselves, I mean, you, you find your different ways to cope, you know, we we're you're talking about puppies earlier, we got a giant, like, well, not a giant, but he's like 90 pound pit bull. He's like uh, nine years old, we take him over to Prospect Park uh, every, uh, every Saturday and a couple times during the week if we can, because now we're working from home. And, you know, honestly, it's it, with New York. You know, it stresses me out. I hate it a little bit. Um, it drives me nuts. Then I go somewhere else for a week. And as soon as I'm back, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to get me a slice of pizza. Oh, yes. I love New York. It's an uh, amazing city. It's one of a kind. Uh, so this kind of like newfound, like uh, a want for a little bit more time for yourself and peace. Like, is that, is it, like, it sounds like that's a lesson that you're taking away from the pandemic and applying it to not just, you know, your future professional and artistic endeavors, but also your personal life. Is that safe to assume? I would say so. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I, I could definitely see myself coming back to London, but I, I think for now, I'm just excited about having that sort of change of scenery and and I, as I mentioned before when you asked where I turned to for in, inspiration and sort of it's just kind of placing myself in a place that's just very much removed from my comfort zone and just kind of seeing what what comes out of that I really don't know like it could be that I that I don't feel like as as good as I want as I'm hoping to feel there or and that I just end up coming back but I think um I think it's just kind of trying that and always knowing that as a filmmaker it feels good to kind of um put myself in that position yeah and I guess even personally like I, it just seems like a right thing to do but it's funny because 
I don't know. I'm I'm 29. I'm just finding like I don't know how what how what time that conversation starts in New York, but especially here in the Netherlands, it's that time where everyone's like settling down, having babies, like buying houses, and I'm like. I might move to a city where I don't know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Yes, yes. Fly in the face. You know, no, no one, no one uh, ever got anywhere new by doing it conventionally. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I try and tell my mom that. <laughs> oh no, I've 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 had those conversations. I I understand. I get it. Do you have any siblings? I do. I'm the youngest of five. You're the youngest. So- of- well, they're, yeah. it's their responsibility. They should be the one having the kids. Oh, and they are, Jeremy. <laughs> oh. Oh, there, you... are, there are literally oh. three on the way at the moment for them. There's like, there's, there's eight of them of like, of little nieces and nephews walking around already. It's oh. amazing. But I think that's also why I'm rebelling a little bit. I'm like, okay, then I'll, I'll be the one doing things a bit differently. You got, you uh, got time. The way medical science goes right now, you got plenty of time. Right. Yeah, I can freeze my eggs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, honestly, in 10 years, we're probably going to have incubators for them anyway, and then you don't have to do a thing. It's crazy. Yeah. This, uh, this conversation got real weird real quick, but I yeah. love it. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about freezing <laughs> eggs. We just, we, just ta- we just started talking about biological clocks. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> let's talk film. You brought this up during the warm-up conversation, and it's something that I've, I think oh, everybody wonders at some point, but I want to hear it from, in your words, uh, what's this new project? So, um, yeah, so I, I just mentioned that I've, I just started a new um, project that it's, it's just kind of, I've just sort of decided to kick it off and I'm not quite sure where it's going yet, but actually you already know the main character and it's Lynn. It's, um, it's the same, um, subject of 1215. And I always kind of knew ever since that film finished that it's just been a very kind of organic working relationship between us. And I've just always, she's just become a really close friend and we just really enjoy kind of keeping each other in the loop. And there are plenty of things happening in her life. Um, one of them is that she's kind of fallen in love with someone who is who is 20 years younger than her. And so we are kind of exploring making a film about about love at an older age and just a kind of about um, uh, sometimes having to kind of accept a limited kind of love. Right. Because because for her, um, it's a very much a romantic relationship. But for him, it's more platonic. She's 87 and he's 67. So mm-hmm. it's kind of. Um, it's it's a really beautiful relationship um but it's not one that i can kind of document as it is because i wouldn't be able to kind of get him involved and say hey this is a film about love because for him it's just friendship do you, do you know what i mean i don't want yep. to put Lynn in, into that in that position um but what i want I, i've just started making a film um or just kind of getting some first scenes down and then just really kind of approaching it as a doc, as a kind of true documentary project where i don't really know where, what's going to happen next but i just kind of start uh capturing the reality as it's happening um but we made the decision to film on 16 millimeter um and i kind of made that decision because kind of first and foremost because of the cinematographer i wanted to work with which is um this brilliant british cinematographer called isaac eastgate and his his work is really beautiful and he's he's his eye lends itself really perfectly for documentary i think he just really knows what to focus on and i think both of us have always kind of had a love for analog film and 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 he's not scared of applying it to documentary so i knew that he would be an experienced and, and capable person of sort of 
because I, I think like to kind of hand that over to because I think when you film analog you um you give a lot of just kind of of the responsibility of filming also to the cinematographer obviously you're also the one sort of calling the shots but you kind of have to like there's only so much like steering you can do when you're filming if that makes sense mm -hmm. so you have to really make sure that you're working with someone who has exactly the same kind of vision as you or wants to sort of pick up on this on the same kind of details um, so we've just started filming the the first two um, two scenes of that project. Fascinating. Now let me ask you, uh, because you've worked with DPs before, mm. um, have you found that the way that you uh, collaborate with the DP has changed between the difference of film versus digital? Definitely, yeah. I would, yeah. I, 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 maybe just to the point where I'm a lot more picky of who I work with when I when I shoot analog, but also where it's it's just kind of a a collective decision that you make to shoot on film, where both of you are just equally excited and know the sort of importance of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I think it becomes a lot more of a sort of an unspoken relationship during the film process. And it becomes sort of just a sort of bond of like trust where you've had a lots of conversation beforehand about the, the, the project rather than during, which is, I think sometimes maybe obviously like also in digital, you have plenty of conversations beforehand, but mm. I think the type of conversation is different. You know, it's much more about the sort of, you, you really talk in depth about the subject matter and sort of what triggers you about the subject and what you really want to capture and sort of, I don't know, it just becomes more real for me. I don't know, I really like it. I, I love shooting on film. I think it's such an unconventional decision to shoot on film when it comes to documentary, because obviously you're just trying to document reality as well as you can. So in many ways, digital just makes sense. But for some projects, for me like this one, when you, when you are kind of know very specifically what you want to talk about and what you want to, Kind of get out and have that added focus during your shoot i just think it's a really um amazing medium to work with have you started getting the footage back have you taken a look yet yeah it's it's, it's really good it's it's yeah i'm really excited oh. it was worth it definitely yeah it's just so it's just so i don't know it's pretty like th th there's a lot of like cliched things you can say about analog film I, I think at the end of the day it's kind of personal taste as well but uh, i i think with a subject like lynn who's just a very expressive person who she has such a beautiful little colorful apartment with so many little things on the wall like it just kind of all comes to life a little bit more i think i, I yeah I, I i just kind of like the 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 challenge of it almost you know i like that i have to think so much harder during the shoot and to, to make use of all the seconds of film that we've got. Um, did you know, by the way, that Sound of Metal, I don't know if you've seen it, but that, that was shot on film. Oh, the Sound of Metal, the, uh, uh, the, the Amazon the, Prime, uh, yes, Derek France picture, yeah. Yeah, 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 with Riz Ahmed, who I, yes. I just love. Oh, he's amazing. Um, yeah, have you seen it? Please I've watch not it. Seen it. I've not seen okay. it, which it's, is weird it, because I, I actually, uh, I, I've, I've gone to a, one or two of Derek's parties. It's very oh, really. Oh, yeah. He, he used to live in Dumbo, which is a section of Brooklyn called Down Underneath the Manhattan Bridge Overpass. <laughs> um, and he was friends with a guy I was working for at the time, who I think is actually a producer on that project, Frederick King. Mm. Um, so yeah, literally, if any of them are listening, I doubt I haven't talked to either of them in at least a couple. I haven't talked to Derek in over a decade, but Frederick, if you guys are listening, sorry, it's it's I've been busy. I've been very very busy. <laughs> I do this no. podcast thing now. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, definitely watch it because it's a very, 
I mean, it's a beautiful story. It's so well acted, but the, the fact that they shot it on film just means that they had so few shots, you know, at each scene. And I, I think they had many, many conversations before shooting or just like spent months of sort of preparing. And, and that's like reminiscent to me of how I went into this short film of just talking about the subject a lot before. So you just really kind of study it for a little moment before just kind of going in, you know? Absolutely. Now, do you find that your presence as a director, that you're just like more present in that moment when you're filming? Yeah, absolutely. And like it, it kind of in the, the like at the beginning of that shoot day, you always just feel a bit anxious and you're like, oh, how do I get the hang of this? You know, because you're mm -hmm. just like you just have to give so much of the sort of authority or the like responsibility to, to the cinematographer like mm -hmm. and and you have to kind of have these little codes with each other of this is when we stop filming and this is when we start you know to really make the use of the film make use of the film role but the, the subject is there as well so i don't know you have to have a little sort of telepathic line running between you two during that entire day um and it's just kind of yeah you you just kind of give up like a little bit of that con control that you want to keep as a director mm -hmm. um and you just kind of yeah but it, it, I don't know you just it's I, I also just love those days before you get the footage back and you're just it's like you know waiting for Christmas presents to arrive and you're like you know you're like I this we put so much love into this like I can't wait to see how it actually just kind of comes back and you just got it so god I want to talk about so many more things when it when it just comes to being selective because I've mm. been, I've, 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 I've shot documentaries uh, myself and there's always that awful accountant somewhere in the back of your brain that says, yes, waiting for the perfect shot is great, but coverage is also really, really good. And then you end up start almost shooting more volume than concentrating and focusing. Um, and I guess from a post-production standpoint, uh, well, I'm going to wrap this into a story, aren't I? Have you ever seen the film uh, Hands on a Hard Body? No, but that sounds very familiar. It see. is a documentary from, I want to say like the mid-90s. I, I, I watched it when I was going to school because uh, the, the, the guy who taught the class was a huge fan of it. And I became a huge fan of it. Mm. It's basically this competition in Texas and the U.S. here where a bunch of people put their hands on a four by four truck. And the last person with their hand on that truck wins it. Uh, I'm, I want to watch that right now. Oh, it's it's great. And you want to talk lo-fi. I'm pretty sure that thing was shot on VHS. Um, but they like I, I, like it didn't have like a distribution deal, or there was some like weird like legalese because like it hit the film festival circuit and made just like this huge splash, but there were like, you know, legal questions. And of course, you know, VHS turned to DVD, turned to Blu-ray, yada, yada. It kind of got lost in the mix for a while, but it resurfaced recently. And the website is wonderful because in it, there's the edit notebook. Because back in that day, before we had online platforms and, you know, you could just get Avid or Adobe or whatever, just by paying a monthly fee, people would go to their local television stations in the middle of the night to, you know, work until dawn on these edits before the system had to go back into use for the editor for the day. And they, no, made, and they made available the edit notebook. So the guy's just watching all of his dailies at home with a notebook in his hand writing out the entire film of all the edits he's going to do that night. 
I'm looking at it right now and it's incredible. It's almost like, like art in a weird way, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's so nice. It's like it's the whole I think there's something just so much more romantic about just the this notebook than you know, rather than like Adobe Premiere Pro. You know, it's just got like which is obviously more technical and much more effective and productive, but this is just um I don't know, it's much more like handcrafty, you know, and that that's yeah. and I, I actually like cutting a film is like handcraft still in a way you know but it's just become so digitalized but it's it's really cool to see it um sort of laid out in front of you like this and written out which yeah. is a lot of words to write but this is because this, this is a full-length film there's there, it's a huge notebook yeah yeah it's it's just the book he took in there and just knew this way he walked in and he didn't like feel things out in the middle of the edit or try cuts out he got the cut done and then of course once you get the first cut done you gotta recut it and then recut it again and recut it again it's it's documentary you know um but yeah if you get a chance watch that film it's wonderful so you don't know where this project is going and you've already committed to shooting it on film yeah i know uh, and I, it's it- but you know what? I th- I think this is coming from a bit of a. I think I'm trying to kind of rebel a little bit against what I'm what I've become too used to, which is just how stylized documentaries have become. Like yes. I, I I'm a, I'm a little bit scared of of kind of where that sort of takes the medium sometimes, and and even when I'm applying for funding, the way that like funders want to know exactly kind of where the film is going and I can totally understand that from a funding point of view but I think I'm, I'm personally trying to kind of go back to the idea of trusting that like that that I know that the coming years of Lynn's life I'm sure I have no doubt they they will be very interesting and I just kind of want to not sort of interfere in that too much and 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 yeah, and, and just kind of allow myself to, to know when to pick up the camera again and start filming again, right? Because it might be that I just sort of have breaks in between shooting or not. We'll see. Maybe I, maybe I get I start shooting again very soon. But I, I, I think it just came from a, a place where I just wanted to have these first scenes. I, I just knew I, I wanted them like down. I loved where Lynn was at this point of life. I love how she's talking to me about love. And I wanted to have those things just recorded on camera before things start changing in her life again as they do so it, i just it's just kind of been an instinctive process of knowing that that i'll always be happy to have this footage that i have right now well let's talk about your instincts because it doesn't sound like this is the first project that you kind of jumped in feet first not knowing where it was going to go i'm wondering what's the point where you say uh we are all ahead go let's do this thing whatever it, wh- whatever may come Hmm. It's a good question. I I think what's sometimes I stutter. No, no, it's it's fine. <laughs> I do it all the time. Trust me. That's funny. Um, I think this is I like I'm getting to the point now where I want to where I'm making or where I really want to start looking at projects as feature length projects. And so far my documentaries have been shorter lengths. And so this is where I'm now, if, like whilst making that transition, I think I'm starting to, to learn that it's okay to not know where your film is ending up. Like, obviously I know deep down what I want 
sort of the film to say or what I want it to be about, but it's okay with certain subject matters to not know yet um, where it, where it's going. And I I think for me, knowing that like, at least like where, like I live quite close to Lynn, you know, it's something that I know I can just sort of keep an eye on the, on the story. You, you know what I mean? And kind of, kind of like, just look at how it unfolds. And, and I think also just be a bit sort of like, kind towards myself and, and not sort of beat myself up if it doesn't end up turning into anything because then it might turn into something else you know like the, I could even see these first scenes like becoming a part of a project where I interview all kinds of people about their relationship their experiences with love so um I don't know I think it's just I, I for, for me the idea of just starting I think it's like I, I think I yeah, I'm a big fan of that I've recently started doing morning pages, which um, I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, no, it, what's what's that? Morning pages is this sort of like I, I've never done something like this before, but it's like it's it's kind of a technique that sometimes artists or, or people working in creative fields use to kind of start sparking creativity. And it's um, where this as soon as you wake up in the morning, you used to start writing. Um, with the pen and paper, not not on not typing because then you can edit too much or like you mm -hmm. actually like the you, the pen also kind of slows down your mind and so you it kind of brings you into a a state of mind where like you you put all your first worries of the day I don't know if you have those but I have plenty of those <laughs> you put them down on paper so they're out of your head and you also you you're not allowed to stop writing so you you're kind of like constantly also. Um, kind of silencing your inner critic a little bit, you know, where you're just trying to keep writing and writing and you're not, um, you're just accepting everything that comes. Um, and, and people do this for like 30 minutes sometimes in the morning or they, so they, they commit to just writing three uh, pieces of paper every day. And apparently it's, it's, a, it's a really, like a lot of uh, people tend to use it to just kind of get into, um, I don't know, a, a nice state of mind to make creative work. And I, yeah, I think for me that also kind of um, uh, is, is what the sort of just starting idea is about, if that makes sense. It absolutely does, uh, because since we're talking uh, about uh, the 300 habits one might do during the middle of a pandemic, mine was handwritten journaling every morning. There you go. That's morning pages. Yeah, you kind of did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes wait a little bit, but there's also, I, I kind of took it on because it was something to kind of like, you know, excise the demons as it will, you know, the, the yep. kind of uh, anxieties and, and weirdness that yep. just happens. Cause you're also kind of coming out of a dream state. So like, there are a few things in there that don't make yep. any sense. Like I've woken up a couple mornings, like thinking like some weird thought, like, Oh, I gotta yeah. make, I gotta go trade the crunchy peanut butter back in for the smooth. And I'm like, wait, no, why, why would I, why? No, that, that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Thing. I just committed that to paper. Like someone's going to read this years after my death and say, "Hey, he had a problem with smooth peanut butter." It's strange. You, you can burn that notebook. No, one <laughs> <has>. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, that's just it. No, I'm keeping all of them because uh, I, I also did it because I come to find out that in the U.S. here they used to teach, and I don't know. Actually, don't know how this plays over in Europe. Uh, well, you know, they used to teach how to print, uh, write when you're learning how to write. And they also used to teach uh, cursive or, uh, you know, mm. so you could write quicker. I come to find out that they, that U.S. schools recently stopped teaching how to uh, kids how to write in cursive because the keyboard is so present there. So I took it as an opportunity to learn how to do cursive again, as well as wonder about uh, if I had to go uh, trade in the crunchy peanut butter for the smooth. <laughs> 
That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, are kids still learning how to write properly in school or are they just typing? I, I wouldn't be surprised. If uh, coming out of the American education system myself, I'm not sure we ever taught kids how to write good. Um, <laughs> but no, they're, they're, they, I mean, I'm sure they're learning in, you know, uh, preschool or, or kindergarten how to write, you know, how to actually print out the uh, letters with their hands. But after that, you know, it, it might just be keyboard, which is yep. terrifying to yeah. me. Yep. God, we have, covered, we have covered some apocalyptic issues here. Kate. I, I know. How did we get here? Um, I, I don't know. We've covered, we've covered your, your 400 nieces and nephews and like the other 80 on the way. And uh, we've gone into crunchy peanut butter and smooth. And then the apocalypse that is uh, no handwriting in schools. We've covered a lot of ground. We could write. This is, yeah, I, this, is, um, this has become a, a pretty broad script here. Yeah, yeah. And the great thing is neither of us are actually drinking alcohol. So anybody listening to this just knows that that's just who we are as people. We can't blame the drugs anymore. <laughs> Plenty of open tabs, basically. Plenty of open tabs. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you brought it back into internet browsers by doing that. That was, that was, that was real nice. Um, uh, Kate, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure to have you and I'd look forward to having you back. I love that too. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Enjoyed that. Thanks, Kate. For more, check out katevillevoix.com or find her on Vimeo. Both links are in the show's description. Make sure to check out drinkingwithcreatives.com where you can support us by contributing to our Patreon. And don't forget to subscribe and download on your preferred platform. I hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time.